0: it was just, hey, is everything going all right? But you think about them, because you care about them. And what will come out of the text this morning, I hope for you, is one, you will see a picture of Paul's heart. Paul loves this church. But I get a sense from the text, and as you dig in, that he had to leave in a hurry. And he wants to know one thing. And it should be uh, enlightening to us what it is that Paul really cares about. You know, what it is that really matters to this missionary and the church that he's planted. And it doesn't surprise us that this is what matters, but I think it should be an indictment on oftentimes what, what it is that we care about. Like If we were to think about, well, we've left the church behind, and I wonder how they're doing. I suppose we might be tempted to think and wonder, are they happy? Are they healthy? Do they have all they want? Are they meeting their bills? Are they getting paid? Uh, is their worship good? Is there still kids gathering there? Is there? You know, we might go through our big laundry list of things that we say, these things matter, and what we need to see is what really matters to Paul is this one really important thing. Faith. He wants to know, have they hung on to their faith? And when we use the word faith, I could say that, and there's probably, uh, and we do a little survey, and you write down the definition, we might come up with a lot of different definitions of the word faith. And that's okay. We'd probably put them all together and not say, oh, your definition is better than theirs. But we might put all of our definitions together on faith and create a sort of kaleidoscope of the picture of what faith is, we might say faith is like Abraham, who trusted in God and walked with God and was given a child, even though he was uh, he and his wife were not of childbearing age. We might say that faith is believing and hoping in something that 's not yet yours that you don 't yet have, but we can also say faith is this unswerving, this unyielding this Devotion to God and commitment to Him. And what I think Paul is wondering is, do these people still have their allegiance given to God? Is their devotion and commitment still for Jesus Christ as their Lord and King? Because what the text will bring out, and you will hopefully see, is that there is an an awful lot of outward pressure going against the church in Thessalonica. There is pressure from Jews, Jews who are undermining the message and saying, is Jesus really Lord and Savior? And then they will undermine the message. They are also not happy, the Jews, uh, the, the supposed people of God in this instance, they are frustrated that people are coming to, uh, who are Gentiles who are coming to believe and being a part of the family of God. They are wanting to keep the promise given to Abraham for themselves. And so the church is facing pressure socially and culturally. They're facing pressure from a Gentile world that is filled with, um, that is filled with pagan worship, filled with idolatry, filled with people who would operate and function in, that, uh, in the worship and devotion of other gods and what Caesar decrees as, as worshipful and as, as his, uh, himself as Lord. There would be social pressure that if you didn't align with the worship and pagan idolatry of the day, then you would be persecuted. You would be threatened of your life. Because if you didn't worship the gods, then perhaps maybe that would be the cause for the problems in their society. And so you haven't done what you're supposed to do. And they would look to the Christians and they would threaten their life and they would say, you fall in line and you worship what you're called to worship in this culture and in this world. You're you're not called to worship just Jesus alone. And so they're facing sort of pressure from the Jews. They're facing pressure from their culture. And they are facing this pressure also, and this will come out from the text as well, that, that the people who came and evangelized with them, the people who came and encouraged them to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, that every last one of them is a charlatan, that they are entertainers, that they merely flattered you and made you feel special so that they might take something from you. And you would know, uh, maybe not see it today, but uh, I think there maybe is an argument to be made about a few things, but that's besides the point. But in that ancient world, in that culture, they would have flattered them and undermined the message and said, you know, they did it all for money, for entertainment that what they said to you was just to flatter you and tell you that you're a child of God, but that's not really how it works. And so there would be an undermining of the message. And so all of this is at play. Paul leaving in a hurry, thinking, man, did I, did I tell them everything I was supposed to tell them? Do you ever get that feeling? Like, oh, geez, you know, I, I forgot that one item on the grocery list, and i got to go back. And Paul's thinking, there are some things hanging out there in the balance that if I don't get there, the 10-for-1 you know, deal might be gone. And in this case, it's, have I told them everything that they need to know so that their hearts stay devoted to God? That all of these pressures that are bearing down on them, that they, they won't give up, will they hang in there? Did they lock the back door? I think I've given enough preface that some of these things can come out of the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the whole thing. Hopefully, this will work. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. A strong opposition, maybe being the Jews, maybe being the Gentiles, maybe being even this undermining of the message. In verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. So he's alluding to this message that they were merely charlatans, they were trying to entertain them. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, now, they're coming with the full gospel authority by God to come and announce this good news about Jesus. We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. So Paul's laying the groundwork right from the get-go. We're not these charlatans. We're not these swindlers. We're not trying to take advantage of you. We didn't tell you this because we wanted to get something from you. We were telling this because we wanted you to get God. We wanted you to understand Jesus as Lord and King. And so he says in verse 6, We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anything else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. He's saying, you could have paid us. You could have done that. And that would have been within our right, but we, re- we didn't. And instead, we were like children, young children among you. That came innocently, and he says, "Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you." How does a nursing mother care for her children? There is no more selfless and sacrificial act than a caring mother. Um, You know, just seeing my wife shine and in that aspect of taking care of the kids, I praise God that I got to sleep. You know, and it's like, "Honey, the kid's crying." You know, I was a terrible husband. Except for Audrey, I had to get up to help Audrey. But outside of that, you know, I really scored some points with all the ladies with that message. But you did great, Wendy. And the point, I think, of the text is that it is an entirely entirely sacrificial love. There is nothing really in return, aside from, you know, maybe a moment of satisfaction where the kid is like, you know, happy and not crying. And then they poop and pee, and then you got to keep sacrificing and keep loving and keep caring for them. They do nothing for you, and you do everything for them. And what Paul is saying is we came among you as sacrificial lovers of God's word, telling you that Jesus is Lord and King, and we took nothing from you, and we only gave, gave, and gave. So don't let people undermine our message and say that we've been in for the take, because all we've done is give and give you this message and say, Jesus is Lord and he is yours and they took nothing in return because they didn't want the message of hope to be lost and he says just as children or just as nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We'll return back to this. And we also thank God continually, because when we received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. That's the Jewish pressure there, that they would keep them from speaking to the Gentiles so that they would be saved. In this way, they always keep up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I want you to pick up quickly, hopefully, on the language Paul uses. Nursing mothers, caring fathers, and orphan. Paul has such a deep, emotional, and sincere connection with this church that he's planted that for him to be separated from them, he uses, he uses this, I've been orphaned from you. We've been, I have such a longing to be with you, to be separate from you. All I think about is you. And what I want you to know, this is Paul's words, what I want you to know is that we came to you as a caring father, urging and encouraging and comforting you to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And the kingdom of God. Paul cares so deeply for him that the thing that is fixated on his mind is their faith. Do they have the faith that we tried instilling in them, that we tried encouraging and urging and comforting them with? Do they still hang on to this gospel and live it every day of their lives? despite all of the pressure, despite all of these things that are going against them, despite us not being able to spend as much time as we hope to with them, do they still love the Lord? That whole thing, particularly verse 11 and 12, has hung around for me for a few weeks now. For we know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I've taken a couple of different directions in my heart with it, and the first is is that as a father, I am called to deal with my children in this way, to encourage, to comfort, and urge them to live lives worthy of God. We are told an awful lot of things about what makes a man and what makes a good father. I don't know that I can find a better definition than a man who looks to his wife and to his children. And he encourages them and he urges them and he comforts them to live lives worthy of God. Are we holding ourselves, men, I'm going to talk to you, and fathers, are we holding ourselves to this standard? Am I conducting myself in such a way that my children get a sense that they are to live their lives for the glory of God? Now that I've alienated half of my audience, if not more, I believe that this is not just specifically written to fathers, but I believe it is written to every last Christian. That if we look at our lives, we should be a people who urge, encourage, and comfort people to live lives worthy of God, worthy of the gospel, and tell uh, tell people of the opportunity to come and have life in the kingdom. What do you think? Am I on to something here? Right? (laughs) I'm not making it up. All of us have this place, this privilege. And what was on Paul's heart should also be on our heart. Being away from you for a couple of weeks, there was kind of like this moment of like, do I go back? (laughs) And of course, yes. But when I go back, what's going to matter to me? And I'll tell you what, this verse just kind of keeps hanging around because I think this is what's supposed to matter. I took everything off my plate so that I could be home, and then I came back, and like all of my projects were sort of done, and I was like, I totally skipped Trunk or Treat, and I didn't like the Christmas pageant thing. Like They don't want me to help with that. And I'm kind of like uh, my NG3... Uh, thing was kind of like on hiatus for a moment the sports were all transitioning and not really meeting yet so I was like so I don't I don't have that what am I supposed to do and this moment happened to me for like the first two years of ministry here I would just sit in my office and be like okay what do I do and Sally would tell me praise God you know Sally or the Holy Spirit I'm not sure which but uh and she's chuckling. That's good. Whew. All right. Um, but uh, I was, what do what do I do? And I think the question is intended for all of us. What is it that we do? But to urge, encourage, and comfort people with this gospel—that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He was crucified and he was resurrected, and he's now seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming back for all of us. And he's coming back to make all things new and to live with us and eradicate sin fully and completely, and that we would have life in his kingdom. You wonder, what is it that was on the mind and heart of Paul? It was this. Do people hang on to this truth? Did we tell them enough to hang on to that with all they had? No matter the pressure, no matter all of these things that bear down on them, that they not give up and live lives worthy of this gospel. What we'll find out in the rest of 1 Thessalonians is that this becomes an outline for Paul. He will urge, encourage, and comfort them. And that's my little segue for when I come back again in two weeks. You guys get Luke next week, and he's going to knock your socks off, uh, and then you'll be back with me. But we'll talk about how Paul urges, encourages, and comforts people with God's wonderful good news, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you urging, encouraging, and comforting people love god with all that they are let's go to our learned prayer Heavenly father we love you so much and i thank you for this day time to be together as a family uh, god we know you are with us and that you care deeply for us your children and god is there are so many outward pressures and maybe even inner pressure that would lead us to add to our plates and add so many things to our lives that we would lose sight of what's truly most important And it's this unwavering, unyielding commitment to you, our faith. God, that we would walk with you, that we would trust you, that we would know that you are with us. God, we we don't want to forget you. And so help us, Lord, to walk faithfully. Thank you for the comforting presence of your spirit, Lord. Continue to guide and teach us and open us to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll finish the thought into chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and our co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you and your family, in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you in vain, that he had tempted you, that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy he has just now come from you, and he's brought good news about your faith and about your love. May that be the same testimony of our life and our walk together, that when people hear from us, they will be reminded of our faith and love in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing.